Play in Politics is this partnership between the uh, Star Tribune and WCCO. John Rash and Patricia Lopez are here. Great to see you guys on this uh, beautiful day. John, I'll start with you. Um, the editorial board at times has been pointed in his comments about Representative Omar. And the news came out late last week on uh, campaign finance issues and also on her taxes and filing jointly and questions again on married to who, at what time. And we have a bit of a divide. Of course, we have the partisan divide on Representative Omar where some, no matter what, love what she does, some detest what she does. So let's just put those folks to the side, okay? And let's address the folks who are willing to listen on this. What is most significant about what came out last week and where does it go from here? That she is a lawmaker. This is a legal matter. And more than nearly anyone, she should have had knowledge and adhered to the law here. And if indeed she has not, and if that is as further investigations go, both on an official basis and a journalistic one as well, that that's determined that this is beyond a political problem and maybe potentially a legal one. What do you think? Well, um, you know, it was something that had to be done. Um, there are there are things that you that have to you have to call lawmakers to account on. Um, she's an elected official sworn to uphold the laws, and it doesn't take that much to figure out that you cannot file a joint tax return with a person to whom you are not legally married, especially if you are legally married to someone else at the time. I was just going to say, this it, it adds to accident. it even more. It's not something that happens accidentally. Correct. Um, and so then there's a degree of intentionality there. Um, whether she profited from that or not is something for the IRS to determine. But I do think it deserves scrutiny, as we said in the editorial, because um, you know, people who do taxes know that married filing separately, which is what she probably would have had to have done, yep. is one of the highest tax categories uh, you can be in. And so was it advantageous to her? I don't know. But people deserve to find that out. And more to that, I think the editorial speaks to the pattern that we keep seeing of someone who has a fairly casual regard for ethical and legal standards, um, accepting honorary. They're all small things, mm-hmm. you know, accepting honorary from colleges when you know that those colleges have business before the legislature. That's explicitly prohibited. Right. Um, you know, several of the other things, her intemperate remarks that have been seen as anti-Semitic, there are all these sort of unforced errors that pile on top of each other, and they all serve to reduce her effectiveness. And I, I think we would like to see her succeed, but in order to do that, just to buckle down and actually do the job. John, I know we're in chime in, but, but also expand on this part, too. As someone who hosts a show, I've tried, whether uh, as a state rep, as a congresswoman, a number of times to try to get her on air and explain. Uh, that rarely, if ever, happens. I know the Star Tribune has had issues with this. I know others because that is a part of this. When you now have this responsibility, you should make yourself available. You know, on every day. But then when you're in the news, she is extraordinarily dismissive to a lot of objective coverage as opposed to just going on where she feels like it's going to be very comfortable and may not be pointed in some of the some of the the questions towards her. I attempted to contact them yesterday for response for this editorial and I got nothing. Yeah. Like not even a she's not available or we can't make time or here's a statement. Literally got nothing. Yep. 
She is a U.S. representative, and in many ways, what you do, Chad, what we do with the editorial board and what the media writ large does is we are representatives of the people as well. And so every elected official should feel some semblance of responsibility to respond to reporters, to engage in the inquiry, and at minimum to get their message out. And I think that when you put this against the backdrop of the president of the United States being highly restrictive, at least in terms of the press briefings, which they have nearly eliminated in the White House and almost completely eliminated at the Pentagon, as an example. And you also, from a political perspective, have to put it in context that she's part of a party that has pressed the president to release his tax Correct. returns. Yes. And when there is a tax issue at hand in the Democrats, that creates the opportunity for equivalency, which the Democrats clearly do not want. So mm-hmm. it'll be quite compelling to see if beyond her Republican critics, if some Democrats increasingly say, no, this is an issue. We have to have a consistent standard and we need more answers. Let's go to the president. Um, as we speak, Pat, it's uh, June 12th. Uh, normally we're down to a two-person race uh, June 12th next year. But the way it's playing out the last few days, it's as if we're already at Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and the heat of the campaign. They're both mm-hmm. in Iowa, the slings and arrows, the mm. sleepy Joe, existential threat. Um I would think this is gold for Joe Biden, right? That the more he can try to separate himself, the more he's drawing the president's attention, Mm -hmm. the more he can spend more time talking as the statesman, uh, say kind things to the other candidates, kind of pat them on the head and say, you know, don't worry. I'll put you on my cabinet someday. Don't worry. Uncle Joe's Mm -hmm. got this here. (laughs) This has to be gold for him, right? It is. And I, you know, first of all, I I just want to say I have never understood why the president considers sleepy to be such a withering insult. Uh, you know, he, he trots it out pretty regularly. I don't get that. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, I, I think there is a legitimate concern here for voters who deserve to hear from the entire field. And uh, unfortunately, sure. with social media and things, you know, that are click driven and all the rest, um, you know, you get more mileage out of going with the brand name. Right now, Joe Biden is the brand name. That's why he's leading in the polls. Mm-hmm. Everybody recognizes his name. There's no mystery to this. It's a phenomenon that we've seen in political reporting for decades. Yep. Um, but but now that gives you such a stranglehold that the others can't find it very difficult to break through. Especially so with so many. I, I think that, yeah, the, the media has a responsibility here to cover, um, you know, the entire field at this point. And don't allow it to become a two-person race this early. It is not. Um, The other point I'd like to make is that Trump has made quite a lot out of saying that um, Joe Biden is the person he wants to run against because he's so mentally weak and sleepy and et cetera, et cetera. Um, In 30 years of political reporting, I have often had candidates tell me who they prefer to run against. It is seldom the person they would prefer to run against. Right. Um, We've had uh, some public polling, John, and we've had reports of internal polling. And the Times has a very good story today about some of the internal polling, which backs up everything the external polling is showing, that the president at this point in the race is not today. This is a snapshot in time. But the president today is well behind a number of candidates, especially Joe Biden. And so the reporting, uh, including from Maggie Haberman, who's as plugged in the White House, I think, as anybody, where the president just saying, deny the polling, deny the polling. That's what he did again today, you know, through Twitter. Do these polls matter at all at this point? They matter immensely, not in terms of how the actual vote gets counted, but in 
the perception game and in terms of the run-up, not just to the Democratic nomination contest, but more particularly within the next fortnight when we have these debates down in Iowa. And I think that all the points Patricia so rightly made about, you know, where he stands and and the fact that he is a well-established Democratic brand at this point might make him the target of so many of these candidates who are trying to cut through the clutter and become noticed. And often what can happen here is certainly there will be some focus on Senator Sanders, Senator Warren, and some of the others that are relatively prominent in the polls. But you have some long shots who may try to enter into the thick of the race by attacking Vice President Biden from that perspective. But in terms of how it plays with the president, I think that Patricia's absolutely right from that candidates often say they want to run against a certain candidate. Every poll that's been publicly released, let alone the ones that have been leaked from the Trump campaign, suggests that Vice President Biden not only would beat President Trump, but that he has the biggest lead of any of the Democratic candidates at this point. And so that's got to cause great concern for the, the president and his campaign team. So I want to talk to talk to both of you about a candidate in Iowa, according to the Des Moines poll, who right now has 2%. And that is the senior senator from the state, Amy Klobuchar. Mm-hmm. And I get, again, it's, it's, it's June 12th. But Amy Klobuchar, well before she declared presidency, was down I-35 a lot. Mm-hmm. There is pretty significant name recognition in it's Iowa known quantity to caucus for Amy Klobuchar. Okay. It's not the name recognition that Biden has or Sanders has or um, I'd say it's every bit as much as Elizabeth Warren. For sure it's more than Mayor Pete. How concerned should the Klobuchar campaign be for this specific state, not nationwide, but this specific state, I want both of you guys to chime in, that she's at 2%. Well, I noticed um, that not too long ago I got uh, an email from them announcing that she is going to be campaigning in New Hampshire. Um, yeah. You know, any at this point, any time that you don't spend in Iowa, you don't see the other candidates campaigning uh, in New Hampshire. I, that said, you know, I think she's going to continue to, you know, to chip away at this. The problem for her is the problem for much of the rest of the field. Voters um, in the Democratic caucus especially want a knockout punch. They don't feel like taking any chances. Yep. This is not the time to go, you know, low on the undercard and hope that maybe they'll get lucky. Yep. And and that's why I think you see so much um, support for Biden at the moment. They want somebody that they think can go in and just bam, done. Um, for In order for her to break through that, I, I don't know what she has to do. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, it was difficult before Biden got in the field. It's 10 times harder now. And just to amplify that beyond the fact that so many Democrats have prioritized defeating the president as their their top issue, at least from perception, her policy positions are seemingly more centrist, a little bit closer to where people perceive Vice President Biden is at this point, especially compared to Senator Sanders and Warren at yep. this point. So it, it's hard to stand out ideologically from the vice president as well. And that's an added challenge for Senator Klobuchar. I want to make sure that that we note here that, you know, polls are really just snapshots in time. Mm -hmm. So many things could change. You know, Biden seems insurmountable now because he's the known quantity. That could change. I noticed today that, you know, one of his latest campaign promises is that he is going to, quote, cure cancer 
if he becomes president. That is the kind of um, hyperbole, hyperbole and penchant for, you know, just reaching too far that has marked Biden throughout his career. It's a danger for him. And he is indulging in it once again. He needs to rein it in and be much I don't more think tightly he can. disciplined. I really don't think he sure can. I'm not sure he can. That's, you know, that's the why they're keeping him quiet. The flip-flop that he did on the Hyde Amendment, you could say, oh, yes, well, now he's listening. Well, he's a Democrat. Where has he been for the last 30 years? Right. He should have been. Listen, if you wanted to change, I get it. But don't come out and then two days later change. Exactly. Come out right away and said, I've listened. Exactly. I'm allowed right. to evolve. How much better would it have been for him if he came out at the start of the campaign and said, this is where I was. It's not where I am yes. anymore. He, uh, would have been, he would have been untouchable on that. Uh, again, John, the uh, president basically saying, I don't care what Congress wants. This now, just read a quick headline here, graph. The president invoked executive privilege to block access by Congress to documents how, how a citizenship question was added to the 2020 census ahead of a House committee vote to recommend the two cabinet secretaries be held in contempt of Congress over the matter. Yes, we're going to have a Supreme Court decision on this. But once again, this is the president acting as if the requirements for Congress are irrelevant. And I'll just decide on a case by case basis if I'm going to respond, and pretty much right now every case is, I'm not going to. This matters to Americans because it gets to democracy's DNA, which is elections, and it particularly matters to Congress because this census information can be used to change lines for the House of Representatives and directly endanger some of their seats. And while this specifically has not necessarily been an issue in the roiling discussions regarding impeachment, I think this will only add to them and only amplify the pressure on Speaker Pelosi to begin impeachment yep. proceedings because this is the type of thing, the specific thwarting of the congressional uh, constitutional role that will deeply frustrate congressional Democrats. This should put up every red flag that um, voters have uh, because it is Congress exercising its uh, legal authority – Correct. To subpoena for documents and a president who is saying no. Yeah. No, you every can't time. do that. No, every time. What is in the documents regarding a citizenship question on the U.S. Census that he needs to evoke, uh, invoke executive privilege? And I, and I would say to the Trump folks who are going to listen to us saying, oh, geez, you know, ridiculous. Do we want this going forward? So if the next president is Joe Biden well, or the next three presidents are Democrats – they should do the exact same thing, just dismiss Congress as if we we now have a king and queen? You know, I think I think you can see from Mitch McConnell's response to, um, you know, would Trump uh, be permitted to nominate another uh, Supreme Court justice, even though he's entering the last half of his term? Yeah. And what you got was a very knowing chuckle and smile and saying, oh, yeah, he'll, he'll be able to nominate them to the last day of his term. Um, so the rules only apply depending on circumstance. And that is not, um, you know, I, I wind up saying this pretty often, but it's not what this country is supposed to be about. Um, his penchant for unilateral action and for just blatantly ignoring subpoenas it should be really troubling to both sides. We'll finish right there. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, Pat Lopez, John Rash, Star Tribune, Plain Politics. Always enjoy the conversation.